Okay, hello there, and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Adam, maybe you know the answer to this. Who's delivering the presents this year? Is it Santa Claus or Baby Yoda? <laughs> because if the neighborhoods are anything to go by, it could be either or. It's, it's an even split. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a contest. I didn't realize Baby Yoda was moving into gift delivery either. That seems... Uh... Grogu Incorporated is uh, coming to town. <laughs> Let the caroling begin. Wouldn't trust him with the cookies because he might end up like mm. barfing them all up. Like right? mm. uh, episode- one of those episodes of The Mandalorian. Uh, uh, anyway. Wrong show. Uh, I am- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the movie shows in a couple of weeks. Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items in Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be the new Ward 4 City Councilor, Linda Boostil, who will talk to us about a pretty busy week at City Council and looking forward to... The budget ratification vote that's coming up in the new year and, uh, you know, just general stuff about life here in the Quattro, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> call back to election night. Uh, that will be in the bottom half of the hour. For that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including the Green Party. You may have heard or you may have not. Didn't get a lot of coverage. That Elizabeth May is back as the co-leader of the Green Party. But does that have an effect on the viability of the Greens in future elections? We will answer that question in a bit after we talk about Alberta, uh, another area that has developed a lot of um, news lately with uh, their new premier there, Daniel Smith. Bill number one, so it's the highest possible priority, is the Alberta sovereignty with the United Canada Act which, uh, you know, sounds a bit, uh, even in the title, sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, but uh, (laughs) hey, uh, what can you say about a bill that's pretty much been dumped on by every legal professional in the province, Um, even has uh, the Calgary Chamber of Commerce sweating, which you think would be a pretty reliable constituency for the United Conservative Party. But um, yeah, a lot of people are oscillating between I guess, uh, sheer panic about what this means, um, but also concerned that uh, at a time when the Alberta Children's Hospitals are facing, you know, 100 to 100 percent, 120 percent capacity, that this is what uh, the new premier is kind of spending her time on and six months before an election, no less. Yeah, and uh, to the hospital point, because this this just in, and maybe you saw it, Adam, that and it's almost a genius move, is that the Alberta government is sourcing five million bottles of acetaminophen, mm-hmm. uh, which of course is probably about five times as much as what Ottawa is being able to procure. So I think in some ways, and now there's two things going on with that kind of announcement. It's taking a bit of a shot at the feds. It's like, well, look how much acetaminophen we can get. Mm-hmm. But it also distracts from this legislation, I think. Uh, it, it doesn't do anything to fix the structural problems either, which are endemic everywhere mm-hmm. in every province. But in certain provinces, it is worse because what's the acetaminophen going to do? It's going to you know, make the fevers go away, but it doesn't improve anything. So that's a bit of an aside. But I mean, coming from, coming from somebody whose campaign, and I don't know if it's the parties now, 
was uh, her campaign phrase was Alberta first. Um, <laughs> you would totally expect something like this out of the gate. And the, I mean, there's lots of problems with it, but one of them is that it's fairly heavy handed for somebody who hasn't been to the polls yet. Mm -hmm. I would think if you had a strong mandate in an election, which is going to be next year for them, right? In May, is that what you said? Yeah, last week in May. Last week in May. So you would think that you would park something like this until then, but I guess if you want to come out swinging, which is exactly what's happened, Mm -hmm. uh, this is the kind of stuff you come up with. And of course... Well, not of course, but it seems like a lot of thought wasn't put into certain aspects of it. When you've got people in your own party saying, "Oh, you know what? Like, you know, we we're actually giving ourselves uh, maybe a little bit too much power." <laughs> and, but not only that, there's a conflict between. I, if I understand it right, the cabinet was saying, "No, it actually does give us the power to override all these things." But Danielle Smith is just coming out and saying the opposite. Like, well, no, it doesn't actually do that. Mm. But again, she's doing the spin thing where it's like, well, you know, but we will, you know, we'll listen to the people because that's the kind of leader that I am. Uh, and, you know, that it kind of speaks to her, I guess, her level of Trumpism, mm-hmm. which is, you know, not necessarily derived from Trump policy, which is non-existent, but just sort of saying things off the cuff or on the fly like you know (laughs) suppose we hit the body with a powerful light kind of stuff right like just you're sort of riffing uh and that doesn't make for good legislation ever regardless of your politics right Mm -hmm. and a lot of people (coughs) excuse me have mentioned that this is a game of political hot potato where um the legislature can come up and say well uh, you know, this federal law is unconstitutional, so we're not going to do it. And then the, the ball is thrown into the court of the federal government, who have said, well, no, yes, you are going to do it. And then that could lead to a court action. And of course, be- because it's they, they're not only dragging their own legislature into this, they're saying like any sort of government body or any body that receives government funding. So that can include nonprofits. Um you know, if you're a nonprofit, like maybe something like, uh, like here for the Guelph example, something like um, the Elliot, which is a you know a city-owned facility, uh, but it run by its own board of directors. And if there's a rule that um, the Ontario, in this example, the Ontario government might say it's unconstitutional, we're not going to follow it, then the Elliot board becomes liable. And by the way, a lot of board of directors are insured. Um, for their decisions, but here's the thing: that those decisions have to be made in sort of like in in the best interest of of the institution that board represents. They have to be sort of lawful decisions. They have to act constitutionally too. So when you're told by the provincial government to that you are going to break the law uh, from the federal government, that makes the board liable. And I, I may be getting all this wrong because I'm not a lawyer, but I, I'm, I think I'm generally surmising what a lot of this legal opinion is that you're, you know, this mm-hmm. this theoret- in this theoretical situation, a board um, is being forced to take illegal action, and then that bo- board becomes liable. And by the way, your board insurance goes out the window, so that all those board members become personally liable. So, I mean, that gets into like the nitty gritty granular stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's easy to point at this and go, well, it's undemocratic, but and, and it, it does seem to be, but it's also undemocratic in a way that doesn't just drag down Daniel Smith and the Alberta legislature. It's, it's a it, it's a law that 
drags down municipalities and and boards of directors and like library boards and hospital boards and um it, it really does seem like they didn't think it through which is kind of bared out in all these conversations that daniel smith was doing on on the sunday shows where she's just like eh, you know we're gonna have to go in and make some amendments like go in and make some amendments you just introduced this legislation last week are you saying that you <laughs> produce this half-assed and do you really want like a new government that is supposedly replacing a previous dysfunctional government to be like doing things half-assed i mean forget about its you know constitutional affairs and federalism and all that but you're like six months from an election and you're doing things half-assed well yeah see that's the thing is that i'm not sure if it's completely half-assed and but the it's the response to it that prompted her response because breaking it down it does two things like like you mentioned with boards of directors and things like that they are able to go after the woke people. Yeah. I'm just saying that in brief, there's way more to that, but I mean, I happened to see and watched way too much or listened to way too much of her hour and a half sit down with Jordan Peterson about stuff. Uh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh my eyes. Let me tell you. Um, no, like kind of thing, you know, they make certain points and, uh, but it was, it was like, Peterson kept going, you know, reverting back to the whole the woke people and you know being a heterosexual marriage. I'm like, this this is this is out there, but that that is that's one aspect of it. But the other is that it forwards the corporate agenda. What are three big things? Oil, gas, and the so-called fertilizer restrictions that are coming right from mm-hmm. Ottawa. So mm-hmm. they want to be able, and I say they, I mean the whole party, not just her, to bring a hammer down on stuff that's coming from Ottawa. We see it a little bit with the Ontario government where they always defer, they'll always revert back to saying, well, you know, you know, the Trudeau liberals didn't do this and that. And they, you know, they mm-hmm. just keep go- going back in time and trying to blame, you know, the, the Wynn liberals, the McGinty liberals, the uh, Wilfrid Laurier liberals, whoever, right? <laughs> so, realist, you know, not realistically, but that's, yeah, but you know what I'm getting yeah. at. So yeah. this is an attempt, I think, to do the same thing, but with it, with a much heavier hand, it's, it's not even a hammer. It's more like throwing a nuke at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't, it, they, she seems so surprised at the reaction to it, but uh, I'll, I'll give her this. She's media savvy and that she sounds good. Sounds like she knows what she's talking about and can always, mm-hmm. always has an answer and it's smooth and there's no ums and ahs. She's mm-hmm. a very polished individual in that respect. But when you peel it back a bit, like, and she was complaining, you probably heard some of this about, well, people will take my old opinions and spin them. Like one of them was the, the study about smoking having health benefits. I'm sure you heard this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or the one about the teachers should be allowed to set up their own schools to compete with regular schools. So you've said that that's your opinion. You're now the premier. Of course, people are going to pick that stuff apart, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to say, what are you talking about? Like we should have living room schools or one room schoolhouses because freedom. Uh, and then just let the school system rot and let the hospitals rot because they're not free market. I mean, that's what you're saying. <laughs> she's very good at saying that mm-hmm. but she's not very good at, at the blowback and the blowback like you had mentioned earlier is huge on this mm-hmm. on bill one and it's understandable too i mean it's the difference between campaigning and and actually delivering um you know when you're when you're running for leader you can make it a priority to you know stick your thumb in the eye of 
the federal government or woke libs or whoever you you don't like um actualizing that as like policy is really really difficult because it's i mean it's partially just based on outrage politics which doesn't really turn into good policy no matter what the outrage is but um yeah the the, the thing is that's kind of what's driving this is uh we don't like and <laughs> Rachel Notley's out there trying to like draw attention to the real democratic dangers of this and and then you know Danielle Smith's response is well she just wants her friends Trudeau and Singh to like come and save us and it's, it's like you know Rachel Notley never mentions Justin Trudeau never mentions J- Jagmeet Singh and one can make the point is that you know the the three of them aren't exactly friends Rachel Notley was pretty you know uh she wasn't exactly on the Trudeau train when she was premier but um that's that seems to be what it is about it's about getting payback for all the people who felt like they were diminished or marginalized i mean that was the whole root of the we're going to establish uh a legal framework that makes unvaccinated people like a, a minority we're, we're going to um have this um unvaccinated rights bill even though i mean essentially all, all any and all vaccination mandates are are more or less gone i mean there are some private ones and that seems to be the bugaboo is like film sets shooting in alberta you you know tend to be like have vaccine mandates why because if one person on set gets sick and spreads it around you know and a whole production could get shut down for a week and that's you know a million depending on the size of production could be a million dollars a day and that's that's you know money lost and what's she doing and her ministers doing she didn't deny they weren't doing it but you know that they're phoning private businesses and corporations and uh nonprofits and like hey yo can you get rid of your vaccine mandate it's like really hurting us and it's like this is what you're choosing to do with your time and by the way you know you, you did mention trumpism i mean there's an obvious umbilical to this too you know kevin mccarthy has said um he's gonna have he's gonna have a vote to repeal defense spending if they don't repeal the vaccine mandates and it's like okay well that sounds really good if you're you know someone who is vaccine hesitant and believes in all the microchip conspiracy theories but you know people in the military get vaccinated for all sorts of things because they're sent all over the world where there are various diseases that could hurt maim or kill them like malaria like hepatitis all these things and so you know, we're seeing this practice now in Canada. Maybe it's a good lesson for all of us that, you know, outrage politics does not turn into good policy. Um, no matter how, uh, you know, media savvy Daniel Smith is, which I agree she is media savvy, which is kind of how she's frankly been allowed to get this far. <clears throat> yeah. And but going back to the strange comments in relation to that vaccine mandates, like you mentioned, there was something about making all flights from Alberta, like diplomatic missions. So <laughs> they'd be exempt from vaccines. I mean, that yeah, that's just r- ridiculous stuff. Mm-hmm. And if it is about freedom, then the movie industry should have the freedom to be able to do exactly what you said there. So production can continue because that brings in millions and millions of dollars. So mm-hmm. is it about the economy or is it about something else? I think it's a, maybe a bit of both, but you know, if you've got, Jordan Peterson on retainer, you can bet that it's not just about the bucks, right? It's about something else. There's another agenda there. <laughs> but of course, when you call them on it, it's like, oh, no, that's not it at all. Um, it's totally it. So, Well, I mean, Jordan Peterson has essentially ruined his life because one student came up to him in class one day and asked him to use their proper pronouns. And he had a 
he had a temper tantrum and and then he started eating meat for every meal and uh ended up in a coma for a year so i mean well, and what i have to say though and it's weird we, we've ended up on the Jordan Peterson topic but he actually sounded pretty good in this sit down oh well um, I'm, I'm i'm glad he's he's healthy um but uh <laughs> i'm not sure jordan peterson is a model for healthy living but uh we'll leave that there oh, no. <laughs> um that brings us to other leadership concerns. Elizabeth May was reelected. Uh, well, essentially, she is the head of the Green Party again, but she is co-head with a man named uh, Jonathan Pednolt. Pednolt. I think that's Pednolt? Okay. Yep. Uh, I'm anglicizing it, so uh, apologies to our French listeners. Um, but Jonathan Pednolt is the co-leader uh, the way Elizabeth May has described it is she's going to kind of be the spokesperson, kind of front person, while Penot, uh does kind of the the from the ground up rebuilding of the party, which is um, no small task. The question is, uh, can the Green Party be rebuilt? Um, just, just to put this in context, this vote happened a couple of weeks ago. 22,000 eligible voters, 8,000 people voted. So almost one quarter or a little over a quarter. Uh, it, it certainly sends a signal that uh, maybe the Green Party isn't the national force people once dreamed it could be. Yeah, and I think some of that is everything is down, right? All votes mm. are down. Mm -hmm. Interest is down. Everything is down. But then I think because they've already, they were, they went through this already with uh, Anime Paul. Anime who? Anime Paul. Uh, <laughs> who, who came and went. Um but then when Elizabeth May left, I don't want to say the first time, but she, she didn't stop being an MP, obviously. But back in 2019, the reason for her departure given was that she was going to, I think she said to her daughter, this will be my last uh, as leader, my last kick at it. Mm -hmm. But obviously that's not the case. The, the classic more time with the family. So I guess maybe that happened. And then it was like, well, maybe I'm the only one that can save the party. And there seems to be, bit of that now the whole the whole dual leader thing is interesting because i remember being sent or i went to the convention uh with cfru actually to cover it in toronto and i'm gonna say 2010 but maybe earlier than that when the co-leader was george laroc the from the canadian other hockey teams um who was an advocate for vegan food and healthy living and green living which is fine nothing wrong with that but it's like they're presenting it as if this whole dual leadership thing is a new thing. And it's not, mm. I think structurally it goes way back. Well, I know that it goes way back with the greens because people know that I was involved in many, many years ago as a kid. Uh, and they, there was always talk about stuff like this, like co-leaders or why have a leader at all? Why not just have somebody as a spokesperson rotational, uh, like they do with, uh, Quebec Solidaire. Um, so structurally it's being presented and, you know, the, the Pedno seems like a, a smart young person, uh, sounds like he was a former young liberal, among other things, and a reporter for Human Rights Watch, or worked for Human Rights Watch, Amnesty. Uh, if I understand it right, his last gig was in Ukraine when that mm -hmm. earlier this year. So he has experience. I don't know if you've seen him speaking. I'm very well spoken, but mm -hmm. I think part of the issue is is that they tend the tendency for the Greens seems to be to pull people 
I'm going to say out of thin air, people know who <laughs> LaRock is or was, and people know who Pedno is within certain circles. Mm-hmm. But does it help? Does mm-hmm. it help? And I don't think that it does. Um, if you're just if you're just speaking about strictly from the way Canadians see it, not not um, this is opinion. Like I'm not saying from me, but if you're talking about all of Canada, what Canadians see in here is you know the the, the problems in the party, the fact that she left and came back, and it's like oh she's back again. Okay, mm. uh, this dual leadership thing. I I think there's folks out there that can't get their head around that. It's like so why are you uh is this an improvement and if i understand it right they they have to amend their constitution to make this happen right so they ran as this setup but i don't think they're structurally able to do it yet so i thought that was kind of odd as well i think it's it it was a concession that i mean because even david suzuki came out and said like elizabeth may's time has passed um, and they're pals, right? They're buddies. And they're, yeah, and he he would like campaign for her in twenty. He's very he's very frank though. He's yeah. gonna say that, right? Yeah. And it was also kind of the one article in Taiyi about the Green Party leadership contest, which I guess goes to show just like even if the, if the Taiyi can't, you know, is so busy or is making editorial choices not to cover uh, the Green Party leadership, but I, yeah, it, it's it's hard not to shake the feeling that this is a step back because she made a big deal about leaving. Like, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm going by, see, I mean, it's a bit of an analogous situation to um, the CEO of, of Disney coming back and, and his <laughs> successor getting fired. And, um, he, he, you know, Bob Iger did an interview with Kara Swisher. He's like, look, my email is gone. I've moved out of the office. It's over. I'm never going back. And then a year <laughs> later, he's back. I like Steve uh, jobs too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm it's, back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right um but it, it, it is a there is a broader political context too because what was the breaking news this week is, is Merritt styles is like now by default the leader of the ontario ndp and the, the official opposition leader uh no one but her wanted the job and you think there would be a lot of interest in having that job it's a rebuilding season you know it, andrea horvath uh departs after over a decade as leader um they have a real enemy in doug ford i mean doug ford hasn't been it's not like doug ford's been keeping to himself the last month and or is <laughs> the last six months since being re-elected he's done a lot of stuff that's made a lot of people really ticked off mm-hmm. um but you know, it seems that Merritt Styles is the only one ticked off enough to like kind of step up and say like, "Well, I can beat Doug Ford." Um, that that's really concerning. That it, you know, in terms of a measurement of political apathy, because you know, getting back to the Green Party, those tend to be the most active people because they had to put up real fights. Um, you know, in, in order to take a meet, like taking a meter for the Conservatives or the Liberals or even for the NDP is easier, but taking a meter for the Green Party is like years of grassroots effort and i think the bigger question is sort of what went wrong was well know, and I, I yeah speaking to both the greens and the ndp in these instances mm-hmm. there are lots of things that structurally prevent certain people from running sure to run for the ndp ontario wise 55 grand entrance fee Mm-hmm. Plus, there will be all of the other hoops you have to jump through and all the other criteria, which will eliminate a lot of the grassroots who may not share the standard opinion, let's say. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened with the Greens. The left flank uh, were 
there was that back and forth we talked about it during the leadership race it's like can so-and-so run no they can't <laughs> um and some of those opinions you know <laughs> the opinions expressed do not reflect the green party so they'll, they'll they'll put criteria in place to eliminate certain people from running that's a fact and they all do it i'm not just picking on liberals and, and ndp or liberals <laughs> greens whoops greens and ndp <laughs> uh, they, all parties do it at a yeah. certain level they all they all do it they all have their their criteria so some of you know people not wanting to run for the the ndp job in ontario is that as i said off the top there the lack of interest but some of it is also the bar is set so high to get into the race what was the conservative one for ontario it was like a hundred thousand dollars like just it's it's sick mm -hmm. money and plus if you don't if the check sheet doesn't match then you can't be in the race no no to be fair there are other people in the green race right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but like you said with with a turnout of of Put, I think it was pushing 40%, right? Or whatever it was, maybe it was 40 exactly. I'm not sure. Like that, that's super low. So if you're not, if you don't have interest within your own ranks to improve things, and there are all the other structural problems that came to light in this, uh, I think Amita Kuttner got a raw deal. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, so much potential there. And it was like, well, I'll do the job until the leadership race and good on them for doing that but then do they just fall into obscurity now which tends to happen mm -hmm. so yeah. my comment about anime paul i don't know where anime paul is now i know um it sounds like she got a fairly raw deal and everything as well she's gone off to do what she was probably doing before uh, all of that happened mm -hmm. but that all speaks to like okay how are you you there's elizabeth may there's a new co-leader pedno how are you treating the rest of the game right well that's the real question because in in the midst of all this back in september and again you know we were busy with municipal stuff back in september but there's this story about how amita kuttner was misgendered in a zoom call mm -hmm. um that was just among party members the the green party president apologized and kuttner accepted the apology it seemed like a kind of a minor thing but then like a, it was like a week later um the green party president is like i'm out uh lorraine uh reckman's is her name like she was she, her, her exact quotes were um optimism is dead um she, she said she had no confidence in the leadership and apparently the, the canadian press got a hold of this email from kitchener center mp mike maurice's office um saying that he and may were gonna quit over this if the if the green party response was to like pause the leadership race and shut down their ottawa office that he and may were gonna you know sit as independent mps and no longer be green mps they they both ended up denying that of course and may said it was like an overeager staffer in maurice's office but still it's um here's this relatively minor thing uh you know People get misgendered by accident all the time. Unfortunately, we're still in a learning curve on all this stuff. And I think people in um, of, of good intent uh, sort of make honest mistakes. But I mean, if that like ends up throwing your entire party off <laughs> off kilter, um, you know, there are structural things that just having the old leader back cannot solve. Yeah, they, these these kinds of things are structural problems that need to be addressed. And when it comes to things like um money but also the the overall um policy let's say and the enforcement of that your own internal dynamic your own internal politics if you can't mm 
keep that straight and it comes to light, you can't just say, well, no, we really don't want to talk about that. It's like, because, well, it becomes the issue. Mm-hmm. It's like Danielle Smith's comment. She's saying, don't focus on my comments. It's like, well, you said them. <laughs> this is what we do, right? This, this is how it works. Uh, we're just going to call a, <laughs> we're going to call a quick break here um, to make a little green for uh, a musician out there uh, by playing their song. And then we're going to come right back with a, an interview with Linda Busatil from the city of Guelph. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And that was number 27 on CFRU's December 6th chart. Out of Halifax, a band called The Bloody Hell, <laughs> who I just picked so I could say Bloody Hell. Nice. On the air. Totally okay. And they are totally okay. The album is called Nobody Cares, and the song is called G, as in the letter G. Now, they're actually like a metal punk band, but somehow swung into jazz there. But <laughs> check them out. Bloody Hell out of Halifax. Well, if there's one person we know that cares in the G, it is Linda Busatil, who is uh, one of the Ward 4 city councillors, and uh, she won her first term uh, this past October, and uh, she is kind of well-known here in the Quattro. Uh, she's been very active in the community, helps that she was a uh, Upper Grand District School Board trustee for 16 years, but she is now a city councillor. And boy, has there been a lot of stuff going on at city council lately. Uh, very busy week this week with council workshops, uh, appointment to local boards and committees. And um, well, what else was going on? Planning. There was a big planning meeting this week. Um, it was just, you know, just a little while ago, I should remember these things, but anyway, enough about me. Let's talk to Linda about all the things going on at city council. And I'm going to hit play on that starting right now. Okay. Linda Busatil, thank you so much for hopping on with me today. Good morning. My pleasure. Uh, why don't we start with, uh, oh, I, I, I just want to mention, uh, before we, we get into questions, we're coming to everyone live from the Quattro today. Uh, show back, sh- uh, throwback to election night. Still trying to get that started, but moving on. Um, just generally about yourself and uh, adjusting to life on city council. You know, you're coming from school board. It'd be kind of the same thing, but uh, a little bit different. Um, how are you finding that transition from all that, all those years of work and experience in in one setting and and coming over to this new one? 
Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to start first with the similarities. There are many regulations uh, that come down from the provincial government that you have to respond to sometimes, you know, very quickly. And regulations like, you know, a balanced budget is a requirement in education as it is in the municipality. Some of the things that are different are more the procedural, you know, the rules of order and the culture of the organization, um, you know, just at meetings. And I would say a big adjustment is, you know, technology, you know, making sure emails work that weren't working. And, you know, the cell phone number that I was given was the wrong number, you know, things like that um, operationally. Um, and I think we've got a really good uh, team of counsel. I think we're going to work together well, just as we did in the school board to make things happen in the city. Good. Then um, can you talk a bit then about how maybe you want to sort of change things up? Um, just on, on like a representational level um, and, and also maybe some of those challenges uh, we're getting a peek at what the workload is going to look like and, you know was, under normal circumstances maybe it'd be a bit lighter in November December uh, as, as counselors get adjusted that did not happen um, but you know you have your fingers in many pies so um, you know how I guess I guess how how goes balancing all, all of that yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the technology behind merging calendars, home, you know, council and, and you know, other, you know, people in the household. I uh, haven't quite figured that out, merging, you know, the technology of calendars. But in terms of workload, uh, when I was with the school board, I dedicated a certain number of days a week to the work of council. Uh, to the work of the school board. And same for council. Uh, you know, I've been uh, elected to the uh, public health unit that I'm really looking forward to. So I need to organize my schedule around not just the meeting time, but really understanding the materials and delving into that. So some of that will be done over the holidays. Mm -hmm. And I and I think the biggest thing that I would like to do is in, in my role as city councillor is really connect with the community in Ward 4. And, uh, you know, I've had um, meetings with the city clerk to really map out the cycles of decision making that come to council, whether it's budget and so on, so that I can organize in person and virtual uh, town halls and opportunities for uh, individuals to become engaged and ask questions face-to-face -face in person. The other thing I think that I'm trying to do here in, in Ward 4 is create, and it was done um, kind of before with uh, previous Ward 4 counselors, is some kind of a newsletter information in your inbox, uh, website, really get out there. And I'm hoping that I can carve out my time and those cycles uh, to really to really engage with people. Mm -hmm. Well, let's start getting into some issues. Uh, we've had a couple of meetings under our belt now. And I want to start with what happened on Tuesday at the planning meeting with um, the the statutory meeting around uh what the, the development at redevelopment i should say at 140 hadati road um there was a lot of uh organized community effort to uh i guess to to oppose the project um there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of um i guess options about what can be done that would I guess, hold on to the things that the neighborhood wants while doing things that the developer wants, but just generally what were kind of your takeaways from that debate? Uh, and, and again, it wasn't a decision meeting. It was an information right. statutory meeting, which I completely understand. And I really appreciate the community coming together to share their concerns. 
And again, you know, as a new counselor, uh, the lens is at what are the tools that we are given to evaluate this proposal? And I think you heard from some of the other counselors more eloquently than I will probably say now is about the uh, density, the proposed density on that site. Uh, things like parking and traffic. And I did, you know, I have driven out to that area and gone around the neighborhood to look at that. And that is a concern. And the concern also raised by, you know, wearing my school board hat from parents about crossing and safety of crossing. And part of the circulation, I would assume that the Wellington Catholic School Board Planning Department would comment on uh, this development proposal. Um, and so, I, you know, it's interesting because as a new counselor, we've got this, you know, housing, housing, housing. But I think uh, the tools that we had in the past around density and parking and so on, as a new counselor, I'm waiting for additional information from staff around, you know, regulations that we're waiting for around bills have those been dulled in some way by the provincial government that parking isn't, you know, we're not able to, to use that as a criteria. I mm. do feel um, aligned with the community about in the type of intensification and all those other kinds of uh, issues. I did raise the issue too of, of, um, alternative means of transportation and storage for bikes and electric bikes. Mm. Uh, that is something that I heard during the campaign from residents. Is that a safe place to park my electric bike should, you know, in a, in a development? And the other one is around the quality of, of living. We talk about, you know, housing, 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 but also about the well-being. So, you know, a place to put a toboggan or a sled for kids and those kinds of things. So it's not just about a place to put your head down. It's about having space, a community space also for uh, enjoying the quality of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot to balance on its own. Um, and I'm wondering your thoughts about how and granted, we still don't know what the full impacts and and bill of Bill Twenty Three is going to be. And I think it was said last night that uh, you know we they're still drawing up the regulations <laughs> for some of the things that change in Bill Twenty Three. But uh, it, it feels, and just from my point of view, and maybe you can comment on it, is we have a real crunch coming where we have communities who have very strong opinions and visceral concerns when like any neighborhood change it doesn't matter how big or how small um but then when a change like this comes forward and given the fact that kind of the new rules under bill 23 kind of put the ball on the court of developers to be as bad or be as magnanimous as they want to be and then there's this third thing that i noted and maybe you noted it too um coming out of the the workshop on planning that um we're not going to have like the same level of detail when these plans come forward. Like we have these lovely concept drawings, like no matter how you feel about the development, it looks certainly looks pretty when it's on paper. Um, but, you know, in terms of like giving, you know, this council or the media or area residents an idea of what stuff looks like, maybe we're not going to have that in the future. And so we've kind of, well, not we, but the provincial government has kind of created this perfect storm where it's, um, the, these sorts of meetings, I don't think are going to become much easier. Um, 
when the full regulations go into effect. Yeah, I'm going to start with the, with the community. One of the things that I did hear from the community is that they're not opposed to development. <clears throat> Two things, not opposed to development, and that there was also a need for, you know, community kind, uh, kind of um, uh, amenity, you know, a, a store, a restaurant, some kind of um, local, local uh, commercial establishment. Hang that on. is not something that we can't require, but right. in, in some ways that creates, you know, the, the culture of that, of that neighborhood is, Hey, you know, I'll see you at such mm -hmm. and such a place. That's not something we have control over uh, as city council. I did hear that the, that the residents were not opposed to development, and I think, you know, Bill 23, when I think about as a city councillor or the staff more so that respond to development application, their toolbox, you know, many of those tools have been removed through Bill 23. We don't have all those details. And when you speak about the site plan, what it looks like, you know, and that's why we're waiting for more details on Bill 23. There's even less there to respond to and say, you know, and you aptly pointed out it's on the kindness and the goodwill of the developer to say, yeah, we'll keep the trees. Yeah, we'll 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 include some green space. Yes, we'll do that. Um, and I think, you know, I think Guelph and developers have good relationships. And just to build on that goodwill, given that, you know, the stick isn't there anymore for right. staff. So so a couple of things I, you know, around Hadati, absolutely, I think. Uh, you know, what I heard from the delegations is that they recognize there's a need for housing, sad about the commercial uh, loss of commercial venue, uh, but it's about the intensification. The question that you've raised, I don't know right now what tools we have to say, not that, that degree of density. When I compare that to the presentation that came from the, you know, the former White Rose property, mm. In terms of process, again, there was a conversation with the community. There was a conversation with the city councillors to talk about suitability there, meeting the need and also the commercial need in that area. So it's about how you get there. And I think it goes back to that goodwill and the relationship with the developers. Also, kind of two very different circumstances, too. The, that, that lot on Edinburgh Road you're talking about has been empty for... I want to say a at least time. eight years. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, there, there's, there's certainly a difference there between uh, a site that's kind of vacant and open, you know, it's, you got John F. Ross nearby and then you go further up the road. It's a graveyard. You go a little further up the road. It's, you know, commercial and industrial. Um, but, you know, this is plant, you know, planting something right in the middle of a, of a built up area. And, and I, I feel like these are the things, these are the files that are, going to be the most emotional the most divisive going forward is when a developer comes into an area has this comparatively like small lot and is going to propose something that no matter what the neighborhood is going to have a visceral reaction to no matter you know as you said everyone says we're in favor of development but when you start talking about specifics that's when you know that's when the the irritants start arising. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> I think what I'm I'm referring to is about process. Right. The process. So yes, the sites are different. You know, absolutely the white rose versus the Hadati. 
but is the process. And I, and I know in things like labor relations and negotiations, you always think about the day after. You have to live together the day after. And so how do you create that harmony in the neighborhood or in the White Rose property and so on? Given that there are concerns, even with the White Rose, around intensification of that area, uh, lack of amenities, and a number of... So having those conversations up front and early with the community it, it is, is, is really important, that process in developing those relationships. And that's what I'm hoping. You know, I've been invited to um, uh, have a conversation with my um, uh, colleague, from Ward 4 with Fusion Homes and so on. And so even though we have Bill 23, my question would be is, can we create a culture of goodwill with developers that speaks about the process of community engagement, but is there a way to insert the values as well? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's worth pointing out that there are a lot of developers who are just as confused about what can and cannot be done with Bill 23. Like a lot of the smaller developers, people who may not have... Uh, the outsized influence of major developers um, at the provincial level. So uh, it's a learning curve for everyone. And I guess that makes me wonder, um, how are you feeling right now sitting with the, the repercussions of all these changes? Uh, you know, you're, you're one person trying to stay on top of things. We know city of Guelph, <laughs> they're having, they're having to have a summit this week <laughs> to have a full rakeout about these things. But you know, the, 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 the sword often falls on you to, to make decisions as one of the, the 13 of council. So are, are you feeling, uh, how, how, or I guess how overwhelmed are you feeling given all this? <laughs> and, and I think, you know, that I think it was the CAO that, you know, said something like trying to take a drink of water from a fire hose, right? <laughs> this, this, um, you know, there is the planning act and all those other things. And now there are changes to that. So, you know, just trying to get on top of things, as I mentioned, I think the winter holidays are going to be massive reading mm. and asking a lot of questions. And I think woven through this for me is the question of affordability. Um, and, I, you know, I, if I use that as my grounding uh, through these changes, whether it's Bill 23 or the changes to the development charges, uh, 150, um, is does it really make an impact and, and difference around affordability or, mm -hmm. you know, um, and quite honestly, at the end of the day, how much control do we have over this? You have majority provincial government that regulates and says this is the way this is going to be and i think the only thing that we have in place would be to develop those relationships with developers or to foster and and to grow and to say these are the values um and you know like a gold seal you know this is a gold seal development because it aligns with our strategic um objectives mm -hmm. and our city values um, but I'm, I'm not sure I need to get my head around that. So how do you achieve what the city wants and what we've heard from residents, what they value, given that the framework isn't there to support that? Mm -hmm. So, yes, I'm, I'm taking a drink from a fire hose. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, pick your brain for a minute to some, some of the things you were getting out of the budget workshop. Um maybe help me understand because I, I i admit i was a little confused you know when you're talking about um sort of i guess putting the stamp of the new council on the strategic plan and how that feeds into all the things the city is working on including the budget i guess is 
is your concern uh, maybe rooted in the fact that uh, given like everything that's changed, and that includes the composition of city council, that maybe um, you know this there there should be a priority to sort of look at the strategic plan and um, I, and I guess put that that new stamp on it, given the new reality, the new players that that there, there's a priority there as much as sort of passing the the twenty twenty three budget. Thank you for raising that. So I'm a process person. Process matters. And if you have good process, then you have good good outcomes, whether it's planning, uh, but also in our decision at council. And, and this is something that isn't new to me, because even as a school board, you know, chair, we decided our strategic plan, um, because there are timelines, you know, the director of education and the city, it would be the CAO's performance is determined by measurement on the strategic plan, work plan. So I understand the critical path of that. When it comes to budget, my question would be, are we arguing about or, or debating, not arguing about budget issues or are people's mindsets really questioning the strategic plan mm -hmm. questions? Mm -hmm. And so in process, I would, just like we are confirming the budget uh, in January for a multi-year budget, as a new counselor, it would be great to have a workshop on the strategic plan so that we've had that discussion and we all nod our heads and go, yep, that's a priority. So when it comes to the budget debates, we have a common language and a common understanding. It's a process issue. I'm not looking to unravel it. And I think in the presentation last night, it was one of the slides that said, you know, you do the confirmation and then you do the strategic plan and so on and so on. Starting off now as a newly elected counselor, mm -hmm. how do we have that touch point on, I've read the strategic plan several times, how do we have that common language and understanding? The other piece to it is, as you've referenced, let's say there's a completely new mayor and council and so on in developing this process. How do you have that confirmation of the strategic plan? Okay, yeah. So I, it's a process thing. So number one is the policy and number two is the process around that going forward and even now onboarding as a city councillor, it would be great to sit around the room and have everyone nod their heads and say, yes, that 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 is my understanding. That is a priority. No, that's very, very clear. And, and I think what that makes me think of too is how much, um, and, and maybe staff are able to hold this in their head uh, a bit better than uh, council is, you know, sort of, sort of swat in the meeting environment, swatting the things that are in front of you. Um, and I, and I think Councillor Work has talked a lot about this too, is that, you know, when the strategic plan was laid out, there were sort of like four priorities. And those are sort of the four, four priorities that council should be funding first. But we kind of treat everything in a silo. We have the strategic budget, the strategic plan silo, the budget silo, the community plan silo. And all right. of these things are sort of meant to work together, but that's kind of not how they ended up getting treated in the actual meeting space. Right. And let me, let me give you a concrete example. We don't mm -hmm. know all the details about Bill 23. Mm. And in, in budgeting, it, you speak about materiality. So mm. if, if there are changes, now we're going to have a debate on, let's say, the um, green greening, you know, the development charges and so on. We don't have all the details. But in the budget assumption, 
those may have lessened. So if green spaces, wetlands, our natural heritage is still a priority as it's articulated in our strategic plan, when it comes to the budget, given that those inputs, the bathtub, the water coming in, that was for capital, but anyway, economically, <laughs> if those have lessened, then we in our debate would say that's still a priority. We're going to move money. We agree in reallocating here. But unless we've had that conversation around that strategic priority and, and we all say, yeah, natural heritage is really important to us, then when it comes to budget, we are not we are debating the strategic priority and not and not the dollars and cents. So those are getting mm -hmm. mixed up. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion, you know, it didn't come out very clearly. I'll, I'll, <laughs> it was, you know, there needs to be that that piece is just what was my suggestion. Right. We kind of need to see or I guess maybe look at value in a new way, because I mean, we're kind of guilty of this in the media, too. We look at the numbers. We don't necessarily look at the value. Right. So it, picture us, we're going to be debating, you know, there's a shortage of funding for parkland and, and natural heritage and so on. Um, and so now there's an argument about, you know, reallocating from somewhere else. That is, that is a strategic uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. The budget should go faster because we've already had alignment and discussion around, yes, that is still a priority for us. And we will look to, um, doing that during the budget process. I don't know if that makes it clear, but in my mind, that's the process. Uh, no, I think that was clear. Well, I know what is inside our control, which is uh, our contact information. So if you could uh, share with the listeners how they could reach you, uh, if uh, if they want to talk some more about any of this, how can people find Linda Busadil uh, out there? Absolutely. So uh, my city of Guelph counselor number is 226-332. 5405. Uh, my email is linda at guelph.ca and it's available on the city website. I do have a Twitter, which is L, my first initial and my last name, Buzatil. And my Facebook still, I, you know, even during the campaign, I very weak <laughs> at Facebook. It's on my list, my learning objectives uh, to be become more active there. And then once I get going, um, I'm setting up a um, award for newsletter and award for kind of blog and website. And I'm going to have a conversation with my ward four colleague about the best way to get information out. And we're going to try to push that out and network that out. Perfect. Well, we appreciate your time today. And uh, Linda Busatil, we uh, speaking for Scotty and myself and our listeners, we look forward to many more chats. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay. So once again, that was Linda Busatil, your quattro a counselor from the Quattro, or one of the counselors from the Quattro. Linda B and the G. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe we're pushing this uh the shorthand a bit too far. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> uh we'll reset the table and uh we'll we'll be we'll be more serious in the new year. That's more formalized, yeah. That's, that's my that's my new year's resolution is to start taking this seriously. Um so that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to us, you can find us online at opensourcesguelph.com or on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire. And we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. 
If you would like to listen to this show again, you can certainly do you can certainly do that by downloading it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. Scotty Hertz on Twitter, Facebook, and Mastodon. And if you're listening to us on the FM right now, stay tuned for the great Turtle Island Underground. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is one of the numerous wonderful shows and programs that you can hear on this channel, CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for us, we shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources Guelph. And we will, of course, see you then. 